Good day, everyone, and welcome to the Party Line Podcast. My name is Colin Booth, Communications Director here at the New Hampshire Democratic Party, and I am joined with your host, New Hampshire Democratic Party Chair Ray Buckley. Hey, thanks, Colin, and greetings, Granite Staters, and welcome to another episode of the Party Line. This week, we're going to be talking to our own state Senate Democratic leader, Senator Donna Susi of Manchester. That sounds great, but first... Updates from the New Hampshire Democratic Party. Chairman, can you tell us a little about what's happening at the party this week? Well, we're uh, gearing up for a number of extremely important special elections throughout the Granite State in the coming months. But first, upcoming is our McIntyre Shaheen 100 Club Dinner. This year, it's going to be held on Friday evening, May 12th at the Sheridan in Nashua. Now, we're going to be uh, sold out pretty soon, so you better get your tickets at nhdp.org. And we've got, of course, all excited about our special guest that we've got coming. Oh, yeah. Ray, uh, Ro Khanna, the congressman from California. He's a hell of a congressman and I think, you know, great friend to the Granite State. And then also speaking of great friends, our New Hampshire Young Democrats will be holding their board elections uh, this Saturday, April 29th. Uh, so make sure you register. If you're under the age of uh, 40 and under, uh, check out with nhyd.org and uh, click the Get Involved tab for more information. Very exciting that this new generation is uh, gearing up uh, for their leadership posts. Yeah, a lot of really awesome candidates running for the board this year. I'm really excited for all of them. And of course, we've got those special elections. Democrat Mark Plamondon is running for state rep in Nashville's Ward 4 on May 16th. Uh, and Maxine Mosley is running for alderman in Manchester's Ward 6 on the election on May 9th. I was out uh, going door to door with Maxine Mosley over the weekend, getting a fantastic response. You know, she's a well-known, well-respected uh, teacher in that area of the city. Uh, and uh, I've never been with a candidate that uh, was so automatically known by the people, uh, the doors that she was knocking on. It's great. So uh, visit our website at nhdp.org or email us at political at nhtp.org to learn more about getting involved in those races. As always, lots of great stuff going on here at the party. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, Now, this week in political news in the Granite State and beyond. Donald Trump, he's going to be making uh, an ignominious return to Granite State this week. A little awkward because he's going to be at the same venue Ron DeSantis was at just about two weeks ago. You know, this really puts the pressure on for Trump to kind of exceed the crowd DeSantis had. What do you think if we can expect from this uh, this circus? Well, uh, I'm always excited when Donald Trump comes because uh, whenever he uh, he shows up, uh, we uh, actually win elections. So he, he's uh, he's uh, got a magic uh, uh, magicness about him that we're very excited. Now, look at uh, when he shows up in New Hampshire. A large percent of the audience are not even from New Hampshire. They come from New Jersey to Pennsylvania, Rhode Island. And, you know, he did a big event at the at the arena. And I walked the length of the people standing and not one person uh, yelled or swore at me. And so I was like, I told the reporters, I was like, none of these people are from New Hampshire because none of them knew who I was. And while I was doing the interview, this guy came up behind me holding a sign that said Rhode Island for Trump, <laughs> which Proved my point exactly. Um, You know, and in response to the Trump visit, Governor Chris Sununu over the weekend called him uh, Trump a loser uh, on Meet the Press over the weekend. You know, it's it's just interesting to me because someone like Sununu, who uh, you know, every single candidate he endorsed over the midterms, they they lost. 
So is it, do you think it's fair, someone like Sununu, kind of a loser himself, to be lodging that accusation against Trump? It was a prime example of Christopher Sununu literally saying or do anything to get attention. Mm. That, that he only uttered those words so that he could get noticed that he was on Meet the Press. He gets giddy with excitement every time he's getting interviewed by a national reporter. Um, you know, look, it, I come from a big family. I know what it's like, and certainly the, the folks at the end. Uh, and he didn't get a lot of attention as a child. And he clearly is desperate for that attention as an adult because <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to go on and say stuff like that. I mean, when we've got him on record saying that he's a Trump man, throw and throw and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it just, uh, it's sort of embarrassing for the position of governor, embarrassing for the state, and it should be embarrassing to the Sununu family. Yeah, you know, one week he's a Trump guy through and through, the next week he's a loser. It's just, uh, it seems like any way the wind blows, he's going with it. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Chairman, for the updates. As I mentioned at the top, uh, this week we have with us New Hampshire Senate Democratic leader Donna Susi, a longtime friend uh, and someone who's been involved in politics since the day she was born. Uh, her father was uh, the youngest alderman ever elected in Manchester when he was in his early 20s, uh, served as a county commissioner, served on city commissions for over 50 years, and was the uh, founder of the New Hampshire Young Democrats and the at one point the longest serving Manchester City Democratic chair till Ray Buckley took that record. Uh, and her mom uh, was a state representative, much beloved, and then she went on uh, to hold many offices over the last uh, 30 plus years. So uh, can you remember what your first political event was? Oh, goodness. Uh, I went to many events with my parents at a young age. Um, it was probably something local, probably one of the Manchester Aldermanic races or something most likely held at the Sweeney Post, which, as you know, it was the Manchester place to hold democratic events. So you've served both in city government uh, as alderman and school board member. You've run for mayor uh, and in the state Senate. Uh, you're now in your sixth term and having served half of that time, either as uh, the Democratic leader or Senate president. And then you served uh, in the state house as well. Um, what's what's really the, the difference between uh, serving in state government and in city government? I think the expectations of constituents are a little different in city, local government. Um, for sure, the, the issues are much more parochial. Uh, people call about potholes. People call about, uh, on the school board, the curriculum or particular grading policy that impacts their child. Um, Definitely more local, uh, definitely a lot of constituent work at the local level. At the state level, the work is a little more balanced between policy and uh, constituent service. And there's also a lot more engagement of others in the, in the process. Uh, how do you balance, because you not only hold public office, but you hold, you know, uh, office uh, in the Democratic Party, both as, I don't know, you've been treasurer of the Manchester City Dems for about 20 some odd years, uh, but you're on the Democratic National Committee, uh, you're former county chair, I mean, you've served in just about every role. How do you balance between being a, a party leader at the same time as being an elected official? Well, 
I mean, the party, my participation in the party, as you said, goes back to my childhood. Um, both of my parents always engaged in party politics. My father certainly having held various roles in party politics. But, you know, it, the values of the Democratic Party inform the work that I do in the State House and always have. Um, and I think the party work also is a way to bring people into the process so that they too will emerge as leaders and potentially elected leaders in our state or in our cities and towns. Before we go into some other stuff about government law, we're talking about politics. Um, you've been to eight, I believe, or nine national conventions. Um, which was your favorite? 1992, New York City. I was not a delegate. I was a guest. Uh, but there was just this euphoric feeling that I had um, entering Madison Square Garden for the first time for that convention, as you recall, was when Bill Clinton was um, our nominee at the time. And he was actually quite far behind in the polls. But as that convention evolved over the week, there was just an electricity in the air um, that I think really catapulted his campaign from that point and is why he was successful in the general election. But what made the convention so much fun is that it was, it was close to New Hampshire. And as you recall, we all uh, boarded a bus and rode down together. Uh, veteran political reporter John DeStaso rode with us on the bus, so we had to have rules for what was on the record, off the record. Um, but there was also just, as I said, a lot of camaraderie of the delegates. There were delegates from uh, the Songus campaign, the Clinton campaign, uh, but it was really just a, a thrill, thrill of a lifetime. Let's uh, go back to uh, public service. And of all of the pieces of legislation you've sponsored, both in the Senate and in the House, uh, what piece of legislation, if you were to pick one to be your legacy or the one that you're most proud of, what, what would that be? Um, that would be a piece that I sponsored my first term in the Senate, actually, um, called Joshua's Law. And the reason it's called Joshua's Law is it's named after a little boy who was murdered the hands of his own father. Uh, at the YWCA in the city of Manchester. At that time, um, his mother was hoping to do something to ensure that his legacy lived on. One of the things that was truly a gaping hole in our law and was missing was that we didn't classify crimes as crimes of domestic violence. Um, so the law that I drafted would, it reclassified crimes such as strangulation, assault, um, and put the uh, domestic violence, um, categorized them as crimes of domestic violence. The reason it did so is so that we could better track uh, the perpetrators or alleged perpetrators of these crimes because we know that people who commit acts of domestic violence tend to escalate over time. Um, so it helps to better inform bail decisions. It has... Um, had an impact on the way we collect data and an impact on the way we deal 
not only with the alleged perpetrators, but also in the services that we're able to provide to victims over the years. So um, something I'm very proud of. It's something that, um, as I said, early in my, my career in the Senate, I was able to sponsor, but I think it will have a lasting impact. Really something that I'm very proud of. Uh, what, if you look back over uh, the last 30 uh, years, what was your best day in politics? So, you know, obviously being elected by my peers unanimously to be Senate president was an enormous honor um, and something that I will always, always cherish. There are other moments that really were very important. One that was, um, I, you know, having, having lost Representative Ronnie Cushing, I, I reflect on an awful lot. My first term in the Senate, um, Representative Cushing and I had a lot of very extensive conversations about repeal of the death penalty, as you know, and I struggled with that vote for a while. Um, and then when the bill was finally passed in the House, passed in the Senate, governor had vetoed repeal of the death penalty. Uh, the bill came, uh, the veto came up for a vote and the House did overturn the governor's veto. And I was Senate president at the time presiding. And I looked over at the clerk and realized that my vote was the single vote standing between repeal and not. And I really, I felt a shiver up my spine. And I, I specifically, specifically remember that moment. And I remember casting my vote, and I remember looking up at the gallery at Representative Cushing. And um, I think both of us shed a tear and gave each other a hug, because that was, um, as you know, a very long um, fought battle over an important piece of legislation that meant a lot to him. And ultimately, I was happy to have been a part of his journey in enacting that legislation. You get to make a lot of friends uh, in politics uh, and get to know a, a lot of folks that um, that uh, move on and go on to other things. When you have a, a, a personal friend as a member of Congress and, and uh, people that you uh, worked with or served with uh, being in the U.S. Senate, uh, but you also get to do firsthand conversations with people running for president. Um, mm -hmm. Of all of the people that have run for president, if you had to pick one of them to have dinner with, who would you, who would you want to have dinner with? Probably be Hillary Clinton. I knew you were going to pick that. <laughs> Absolutely. That was a trick question. <laughs> Wasn't a trick. <laughs> now, what was it in 1992 that you were saying at the convention about Hillary? Were you wearing a Hillary pin already? I was. I was. <laughs> I was a Hillary Clinton supporter when Bill Clinton was running for president. Um, I did have the opportunity, obviously, to meet um, then Secretary Clinton um, several times. But we did get a couple opportunities to literally just sit and talk um, as just two women who are interested in politics. And the conversation immediately led to our mothers and how our mothers had such an important impact in our lives. And... Um, just how much we both value and cherish those extraordinary relationships. So. You talked a little bit about uh, your support for Hillary. Uh, and we've talked about, you know, you worked for the state Senate when they had its first legislative female majority. Uh, you serve in a state Senate that's 24 members. Uh, right now it's 1212. Um, and we've seen so many records broken uh, across the country. 
Uh, we've even seen a female vice president. Um, but um, what do you think it's going to take to have a female elected president? I think time. I think over time that will happen. I, you know, certainly Secretary Clinton, you know, carried the torch the farthest. And uh, as we know, she actually captured the popular vote uh, in the United States. And although she wasn't elected, I, I, I do think another leader will be in due time. Um, I think the country is ready. As I said, the popular vote went to a woman. And I think we will see a woman, hopefully within my lifetime, become president of the United States. What sort of impact do you think both Manchester politics, but New Hampshire as well, but mostly Manchester politics, the demise of the power of the and influence of the union leader has had uh, on uh, politics, uh, both in, in the city and just the tone of politics or uh, how people uh, feel uh, when they're running for office, knowing that they're not going to be the, the victim of, of uh, the acidic uh, editorials uh, the way that they used to be uh, in the decades ago. I mean, you grew up in the shadow of the union leader, um, and uh, certainly, you know, your dad was familiar with uh, with uh, many a times he was uh, attacked in, in the in those uh, um, editorials. Uh, but uh, when was the last time the union leader went after you? Even though you're the most prominent uh, Democrat in state government. Oh, within the past couple months, just, you know, a little slap here and there in an editorial. But I can remember serving as an alderman in the early 90s, and uh, there used to be a City Hall column at the time just focused on Manchester politics. And that column could be tough sometimes, could be a bit venomous. And I can remember... You know, as you know, I'm not an early riser, but I remember getting up at the crack of dawn on Friday mornings to grab the paper to look and see what what they were saying about me. Um, but there's no question that the influence of the union leader has waned considerably. I mean, as you said, there was a time where, you know, your every move was monitored and you knew that, you know, something bad could be coming from the union leader based on your votes or something that you might have said. So people would sometimes temper their rhetoric uh, because of fear of what the union leader might say. But I just, I don't think that's the case anymore. Um, I think they look to the union leader for some, you know, very basic news, but the influence um, and some of the toxicity associated with it just isn't there anymore. Um, It's sort of a trick question. Uh, do you remember the first time you were interviewed on WMUR? Ooh. It was 1991. Was it? Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't specifically recall that, Raymond. It was, you were at the State House in the hall, uh, and um, it you had been requested by the state chair to be the party spokesperson on a particular issue. Uh, and um, I don't, I, I'm not exactly sure what that issue was, but I do remember uh, you being uh, one excited that you were able to do it, and everyone else excited how well you did it. Because um, there's a difference, between, there's a lot of people who like to be in the media, but not too many can actually handle themselves. Uh, and at that time, you would have only been 22, 23, 24, right around there. Um, 
What do you think gave you that sort of po poise to, to be able to do something like that? I don't recall the specific incident. I knew it had to be when I was serving in the house. Um, you know, I had the privilege of having, as you said, very engaged parents. So I was able to sort of watch them through various processes. Uh, my mother served in the house while I was attending St. Anselm College. I would often on vacations um, drive up to the legislature with her and watch some of the public hearings and watch how people participated and um, behaved. And, uh, you know, I think it's just that, that mentorship and the leadership that my parents showed in many ways that helped give me confidence to take the next step to serve. Well, I think that's all we've got to talk to you today. I'm sure that we could ask a thousand other questions. And uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Party Line Podcast brought to you by the New Hampshire Democratic Party.